0: Well, good morning. It's great to be with you today. I hope you guys are enjoying your summer so far. It's going by fast. I mean, we're here. We are uh, the latter part of July, and uh, we just got back from uh, some time away. Spent a week at a family camp that our family's gone to for years, and then we went uh, and spent some time at the beach uh, with some family. Just had a great time. And one of the one of the things that I enjoy. How many of y'all are going to the beach? At some point this summer, part of your vacation, number of hands going up. One of the things that I enjoy when I go to the beach is getting out in the ocean and swimming in the waves and riding the waves and all that. But you know what happens? You guys have done it too. There's a tendency for something to happen when you get into the ocean, right? Uh, There's a tendency to drift, to get caught up in the current. And, you know, if you're not paying attention or even if you're just distracted by all the fun that you're having, uh, it's easy to, to look up at some point and realize, hey, I started way down there, and now I'm way down here, right? Well, you know, when it comes to being caught up in the current and being carried down the beach, there are three things that you got to acknowledge. Number one, there's a problem that you got to recognize that I've drifted. Number two, you got to realize the solution and solve that problem is you got to get out of the water, you've ever tried to work your way against the current it's tough so you get out of the water and you walk back up but then the third thing is making a commitment to pay constant attention to remain where you are it takes uh, concentrated effort time and time again not just one time but over and over right and so this morning, uh, as Kevin described, is going to look a little bit different than we typically do Sunday. But I want to share some thoughts with you to set it up. Then I'm going to invite some of our ministers to come up and join me here on the stage for a Q&A time and a discussion. But um, you know, one of the things as I was thinking about this next generation is Israel was a nation that that got caught up in drifting away from where God where they started and what God's intentions were, and they found themselves way down, far away from what God had planned. And so look with me, if you will, at Psalm 78. If you've got your Bible, look at that. It's up on the screen as well. But I want to just read these verses, eight of them. It's the second longest psalm. I'm not going to read all of it, okay? But I want to read the first eight verses because I think it's important for us to take a moment and think about establishing some biblical Uh, foundation for what we're going to be talking about today. Listen, this is uh, uh, a psalm written by Asaph and he says this starting in verse 1. He says, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. He says, Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable and I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. And so let me stop right there in the first three verses Uh, He's saying, listen to this. Literally, it's a word, when he says, incline your ear, he says, bend your ear. He says, listen, this is important. Pay attention. I'm about to say something that not only uh, uh, am I going to share it with you, but it's something that you've heard before. He said, this is something that is known to you, and it's worth being reminded of. And lastly, they've heard it, he says, from our fathers who have told us, has been passed down from one generation to another, from fathers to sons, and it's a familiar message, and this is what he says in, starting in verse 4, we will not conceal them, this is a statement of commitment that they're making, we will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded Our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. And so he's saying in verse four, we're not going to conceal this. We're going to make it known. We're going to tell them. And he says, we're making a commitment to pass this down, what's been passed to them. And what is it that they're committing to pass down? He says, the praises of the Lord, verse four. He says, the strength or the power, literally the fierceness of God as a a fierce warrior in battle, the strength and power of God and the works that He's done among them. His work that established a testimony to other people of God's presence and work in their nation. They wanted to talk about those things. And lastly, the giving of the law. And they wanted to commit to doing that and to pass those down. He says, verse six, that the next generation might know these things Not just the existing generations, but generations, he said, of children yet to be born, of future generations, of those that they don't know yet, the ones that they don't even see. We want to make sure we're faithful in the present so those generations will have the opportunity to receive what we've received. And their goal is to tell them three things, to put their confidence in God, to not forget His work. Second, to keep His commandments. And third, to not be like their fathers. Now, that's a sad testimony. I was fortunate in my life to have a wonderful dad. Uh, I want to grow up and be like my dad. Some of you may not have had good fathers that you want to emulate. You may have liked them say, said, hey, I want to be different than my father. And what this verse is saying is not be like the fathers. What does it say in Psalm 78, verses 7 and 8, about what those fathers were like? It says, um, verse 8, excuse me, and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. Listen, a generation that did not prepare its heart, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Um, The preparing its heart is kind of this idea in a moral and a spiritual sense. They didn't uh, decide and determine with their inner man. That's what it's talking about when it talks about the heart, the inner man. They didn't set through making a decision and a commitment to move in the direction towards God, rather they did the opposite. And so they ended up in a situation that the rest of the Psalm, if you read through that this week, tells you the sad story of the ups and downs of all that Israel experienced. But at the end of it, it ends on a great note because God is faithful and he chose David. He took him as a shepherd of sheep and he turned him into a shepherd of a nation. So God has a plan and an intention that he wants to fulfill for every generation And there are blessings that He wants us to walk in and to experience. And God is calling us to be faithful to that. And I think when you think about this concept of generational faithfulness, it requires an exchange of something. An exchange, you guys know what that means. It's just to part with or to give up something for something else. And I want you to... uh, Uh, look at the words that I think are on the screen. It's in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, some very familiar words uh, that Jesus spoke, some of his last words with his disciples on the night uh, that he was betrayed. He says this in verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, the love that you have for one another, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The most defining characteristic, Jesus says, of a disciple that is recognized and noticeable, especially by those of the world, is that of love. And there's a definition of love that I've I've, heard Tim Kimmel share. Many of you may have heard him when he was here to do a a parenting and marriage seminars, but he says this is how he defines love. It's not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's a commitment. Love is the commitment of my will to your needs and best interests regardless of the cost. It's the commitment of my will to another person's needs and best interests regardless of the cost, regardless of what it may cost me, it's an other-mindedness mind, other that characterizes this love that Jesus was speaking about. And so when you think about generational ministry, I think it needs to be characterized by deep and sacrificial love for each other. But second, while we are called, and we are called to minister to every generation, I think there needs to always be a bent towards looking towards the future, looking down the pipeline to say, who's coming along after us? Just like Kevin had set it up a moment ago, somebody was faithful to you and me. Who are we going to look to be faithful to for those that come after us? And so it might look like uh, some of the generations expressing that love through investing in and releasing uh, opportunity and control, giving a seat at the table. It might look like Uh, younger generations receiving what's being provided and honoring well those who are passing things down. So it's this great exchange of love and honor that needs to take place between the generations and I want to share a quick very quick story and invite uh, these folks up here but um, uh, one example that came to my mind thinking about this generational ministry involves my grandmother. You've heard me mention her a couple of times I call her Nana My grandfather I called Grandy. Nana's still living. She lives by herself at Rolling Green. She's 102 years old. She's an amazing, amazing lady. And back in 1970, she and my Grandy um, made a decision to purchase some property, and they built a small cabin up in the mountains of Blowing Rock, North Carolina. It's a beautiful uh, part of the country, a beautiful space where they put this cabin, and they decided to call it Up and Away. It was an opportunity. It literally sits on top of this little mountaintop, and they called it Up and Away. And over the years, for almost 45 years, they had enjoyed countless weekends, and almost every July, they would go for a month, almost every July up there, uh, as they entertained family and friends and made some wonderful memories. I have a lot of those as a child going up there with my grandparents and our family and friends. But, you know, several years ago, my grandfather's health began to decline And uh, they were at an age in their 90s where it was more difficult, becoming more difficult for them to go and enjoy it on their own and uh, the way that they had in years past. But they were always, while they enjoyed it themselves, they were always really generous to share their cabin with other people and invite people to, to go. And that gave them a tremendous amount of joy also. And so as they began to think about the cabin, they looked down the pipeline. There were three generations of family that followed them. They had two children, my mother and my uncle, and they had four grandchildren and eight great-grandchildren. And they began to think about these generations and they realized two things. Number one, the cabin has pretty much stayed the way it was since we, we had it the way that we liked it and we established it and they kind of left it that way. But two, they realized some of the needs and the interests with a growing family um, of these younger generations, me included, that were coming along. Some of those needs and interests were different than theirs. And so in their heart they wanted to make sure the cabin was something that could be enjoyed for years to come and they were determined to be future focused and others minded and so they made some decisions. They made a decision to initiate a discussion with our family about renovating the cabin. The second is they made a decision to release control of deciding what that remodel was going to look like. Um, and invited uh, us to have a seat at the table and making decisions and allowed their granddaughter's husband to redesign it. All right? Uh, so uh, Jonathan married into the family. My, grand, my, my cousin Katie, her husband, they said, hey, you, you put something together and you designed this. Uh, so old spaces were upgraded, new ones were created to make it functional and appealing and accommodating for the needs. And third, they invested financially to make sure that dream became a reality. That was their part. So the younger generation, the three that came along that I mentioned a moment ago, here were some of the things they took into account, I'll I'll say we, took into account the rich history and the memories that were made there. And as you walk through this special place, there are pictures and sentimental and historical treasures that are displayed uh, throughout the cabin so that the history won't be forgotten, that memories uh, won't fade and that respect and honor Uh, to my nana and grandy would continually be extended because if it weren't for them, it wouldn't even be there in the first place. And so um, another something that we began to do is invite them to come and participate with new people and new friends that were experiencing this transformed place. And uh, lastly, um, all the generations invested financially to help make that something uh, possible. And so just a couple of weeks ago, July 4th, my nana was up there celebrating with friends down in what she calls the holla. All this, these families have been coming from years and years together on July 4th, and they all came together, and she was celebrating. And if you talk to her, she just gushes about how much she loves it. And it's not, and it looks very different than what it was before. But you know what? Her joy is derived from the fact that she's seeing the generations enjoying what they had started, their dream that, that became a reality for them is becoming a reality for those that are following along. And so um, I share that just as an illustration of how I think as we talk about next generation ministry, it's a, it's a cooperative effort and that's something that, that we watch this unfold, chambly and I did watch this unfold within our family. And it's just a story to illustrate what that could look like. And you think about what does that translate into ministry and the church, and for older generations and younger generations and those in between, uh, what does it look like for us to be faithful, to not be like the fathers of Israel who didn't prepare their heart, but what does it look like to be faithful to reach those coming along after us? So what I wanna do at this point, is I wanna invite some of our ministers to come on up and join me here at the stage. And um, what we want to do for the remainder of our time this morning is just talk together about what Next Generation Ministry uh, involves. And um, we've got uh, with us today um, uh, four of our... Fo- and, you know, think about this, guys. A year ago, there you go, none of these four were here. And Lord has been faithful to provide. You know, Taylor's has been through a lot of change and transition with our staff, with membership, but God has been so faithful to bring us a team of people that are going to help lead the way here at Taylor's, to help all of us to work together towards being effective at reaching the next generation. So we want to spend some time talking about some questions. I'm just going to ask, you've heard me talk already, so I'm going to let these guys uh, share some of their thoughts, but there's, there's two goals, or there are two goals Uh, in doing this today. Number one is to have them share some thoughts about reaching down, but the other is for you to have a chance to get to know them and to hear their heart and their passion for what they're doing, and so I'm excited. Uh, I hope you guys are looking forward to this. I'm excited about you guys taking time this morning, and so I just want to start it off by asking if each of you would just take just a moment to introduce yourselves and share a little bit about uh, you and and what you do here at Taylor's.
1: Absolutely. Uh, My name is Josh Duncan. Um, I am over the student ministry here, so that is grades 6 through 12. Um, And so I get the privilege of getting to lead that ministry. I've only been here for three weeks now, and so I am learning that and getting to meet students and all those that are involved, and I'm excited about that. Um, a little bit about me, my wife, her name is Brittany, we have a two-and-a-half-year-old Selah, um, and so we are so excited to be here, get to invest into the next generation.
2: Well, my name is Molly Holder, and I am your preschool coordinator, which is birth through K-5, and it's been about a year since David introduced me right down there, along with my husband of about six years, Ryan, and um, our daughter, Tinsley Lane, who is 14 months old. And, um, but I was raised in Irmo, South Carolina, which is close to Columbia, um, by two wonderful souls. My parents showed me Jesus every day. Um, and I'm so thankful for them because they molded me into the person that I am. I'm a relationships person. Um, so, but mostly little people have my heart and, um, I love how they can be in awe and amazement. Over things that us adults miss. Um, just a quick story. So this past week, my daughter Tinsley was walking over the air condition that was coming out of our um, floor in the kitchen, and she just, her face lit up and her hair was blowing, and she was just excited and happy over air conditioning, and it just reminded me of this and why I love that um, that age so much. Um, so I just love how they capture my heart daily when I'm here.
3: I'm Joseph Eskridge, and I'm over the children, so birth to fifth grade here, uh, married. My wife's Ashley. Uh, we've been married for 13 years. And we have three kids, uh, Harlow, Oliver, and Waylon. Uh, Oliver's the one that uh, if you look at him on Wednesday nights, you might think he needs discipline. Uh, <laughs> he gets it, uh, but you know, can't discipline all the time. Uh, but uh, he's a little crazy. <laughs> but um, I came from Virginia. I've been here about seven months now. Uh, so I lived in Virginia all my life until I moved here back at the end of November. Um, and love kids, kind of what Molly shared. I just love the impressionability of kids and just that there's still a lot of that awe and wonder involved in their lives and experiencing things and just being able to walk through them, laying these foundational things as they start to grow up and get into the elementary years and prepare them for moving into student ministry.
4: So, my name is Alex Smith,
3: and uh, I am over the
4: collegiate ministry here at Taylor's, and I am bivocational, so I have a full-time job, and also work here with the college students. And I am married to Hannah, who uh, this December will be seven years that we'll be married. We have two kids, Judson and Emory. is also one that looks like she needs discipline, uh, and I can assure you that she gets it. Uh, my dad is a little old school and raised us, so we still do the switch, if any of you guys uh, grew up on the switch. <laughs> And she's at the age where she has to pick her switch, so uh, <laughs> and it better be a good one. So, uh, we we agree with that. But uh, no, we are excited to be at Taylor's. Hannah and I uh, went to North Greenville, graduated there, and uh, while we're at North Greenville, we came to Taylor's uh, under the the ministry of Doctor Page and uh, Brooks, and so who was over college. So it was really cool to to work uh, or to um, you know be taught by them, and then now come full circle and actually be here on staff at Taylor's doing some of the same things. So it's been a blessing to be here, and we we're excited um, after uh, so many years to be back up here in Greenville um, and seeing the Lord work.
0: Good deal. Let me, uh, let me just ask you guys if you'd um, uh, share a little bit. As you transition into this new ministry in each of your respective areas, what are some things uh, that maybe you guys are grateful excited about that you've inherited because you've come into a ministry that somebody else had already uh, been serving in established and the the baton has now been placed in your hand what are some things y'all are excited you've inherited and then the second is maybe what are some things that you are interested in building uh, within your ministry that might be new
1: Um, yeah absolutely so the just the amount of resources that are here is, um, it, it, it's not compared to um, in a lot of other places. Um, and so walking into a place where you don't have to think too much about the facilities and getting the right stuff for students because you guys already have that. And so being able to just sit back, build, and invest into lives of students, leaders that are here, um, is what Brittany and I are very, very excited about. Um, that some of the things that, we, that, are, that are necessary in ministry, you guys have already put into place. Um, and that, there's a lot of forethought that has come in that. Um, and so we're very excited to be here to invest into the lives of students. And in that same breath, what we really want to build is just this sense of belonging. We want our students uh, for this to be a place where they can look at Taylor's and say, man, that's where I belong. Um, and we want students to feel that way. We want families to feel that way. Um, and, and that's what Brittany and I are really excited about, to, to build and invest in here.
2: Yeah, awesome. I think for me, when I came in, I was impressed with the um, amount of leadership downstairs, Um we have some amazing children's ministry leading leaders downstairs, guys, and um, I just want to say that to encourage everyone in here, um, and I'm just excited about, with our needs right now down there, because we do have needs down there, um, how they can shape and mold the next leaders that we have, and um, my prayer for them is just that hearts are being prepared right now, um, but yeah, they they have, um, day in and day out. They tell me about families. They tell me about children, their story, their backstory. And I'm just thankful that, um, that was established downstairs so that I could truly spend time ministering on Sundays.
3: Yeah, I would say kind of the same things. Um, basically when I came in, uh, it was a healthy situation. I didn't come into like some broken situation that needed all these different things to be fixed. Um, so like, there was leadership in place. Um, plenty of classrooms had uh, actually teachers in them already, so it wasn't like I was trying to find people for these certain rooms, but I could literally jump into observing and just getting a picture of what's going on, what are kids being taught, uh, what are some things, like little things here and there that are needed that enhance um maybe the lesson or enhance the time for the kids uh, and also just to get feedback right away so i had so many leaders that had been serving for multiple years i literally got to get feedback right away like what do you like what do you don't like like what's your ideas so it was was nice to come into a a large team already in place and to get feedback right from the get-go and then i can literally focus on all right based on what kids are going through today this would be some good things to add in, or, yeah, I agree, that that probably doesn't work well, let's fix that. And then just having um, a healthy, consistent base of members here who give consistently to the church, so that way there's, a healthy, there's healthy finances and able to think of things that will help reach the next generation. That was a wonderful thing to come into.
4: I think for me, one of the things that I am most grateful for walking into a collegiate ministry at Taylor's First Baptist is the mission-mindedness behind Taylor's. Uh, Brooks if you knew uh, Ryan Brooks he did a great job with trying to get the college students on mission when he was here and uh, that's something that uh, in talking with Jeremy that we are very hopeful and expectant uh, to see from all age groups in Taylor's First Baptist but also specifically with the college students and getting them on mission that could be in the streets, that could be in Greer, South Carolina, or it could be in Pauline, where my family's from, uh, South Carolina, it could be in, in Germany, London, you name it, it could be all over the place. And so, uh, Taylor's has done an incredible job of being a beacon in the area, not the beacon in Spartanburg, but a beacon in, an, in the area <laughs> for, for missions and what that looks like. And the college students from when I was here in the college ministry uh, we got it, we grasp it, and we see it. And now, not all of us are on the mission field today, but we are on the mission field in our vocations. And that's something that I'm excited to kind of use our students in a way as leverage to say, hey, no matter what you do, you can do it for the Lord. If you're an accountant, if you're a business executive, if you're a janitor, you can do it for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that, David, I'm excited to kind of shape, you know, what can I be expecting or kind of bring to the table is to take Taylor's First Baptist Church, and if you look around, and if you know a few people in the, in the church, we have a lot of business professionals, we have a lot of professors, we have a lot of things in our community here at Taylor's, and starting to use these college students and pairing them with a mentor that hey I'd love to be an accountant one day for you know whatever business well here's how you can do it the Christian way I'd love to be an entrepreneur well here here's someone in our church that has been a successful entrepreneur in God's eyes and in man's eyes and this is how you can do it in a Christ-like manner so using missions throughout the collegiate ministry and that's being taught from preschool all the way up to where I have them and it's a beautiful thing to see that by the time they get me hopefully or they get to me. That they are already missions-minded, they're ready to go, and they've got some stuff under their belt that's equipped them and shaped them to be the next generation that reaches Jesus Christ or that reaches this nation for Jesus Christ and beyond. So it's it's an exciting time to use what we have from resources to ideas uh, to shape the world around us, man. To be to be doers and goers uh, of the gospel.
0: Good, thank you. And I, I do think as you think about engaging in this mission, you've got to have an idea of who you're going to reach and having an understanding. I read a quote this week, it says this about millennials who are kind of defined from those born of 81 to about 96, 97-ish. And uh, it says this, millennials are a huge part of the population today, about 75 or 80 million is the estimated population size of the millennial generation. If we're serious about the Great Commission, we need to be serious about understanding this generation, and so what are some things that we need to know? Help, kind of educate us on understanding these younger generations that are coming along, and and um, so we know who it is that we're trying to reach and how to effectively do that.
1: Yeah, I'll uh, I'll go first on this one. Um, I, I think that the number one thing that Millennials and Generation Z, which is what um, the students are called now, the, the children, anybody born 1998, 1999, and beyond, uh, which is all of our uh, ministries, even some of Alex's. Um, I would say all of them, when they're coming into a church or if they're coming into a church, the number one thing they're looking for is authenticity and transparency. Um, it if they, they, they can sense any form of fakeness or facade very, very quickly, um, and so their desire is to be in a place that's, that's real, um, that they can see that other people are like them, that they struggle alongside of them, um, and so they want to see authenticity, they want to see transparency, um, and they want to experience true community with other people that are in their same Uh, age group they just don't want to be another person that sits in a pew they want to have actual connection with individuals i think that's true of millennials and of generation z Um, they want real life interaction Um, i think it's so important for us to be aware of that and so that we are building into our life groups and our community uh, groups that we have here Um, and then the other thing that i think is true of both generations is that Um, they really want to see a a great vision and a purpose for why we're doing what we're doing. Are we just doing the same stuff that we've always done because that's what we've always done? Or is there a true reason and a purpose behind it? Is it furthering the gospel? And if we can communicate that well of the why behind we're doing what we're doing, man, we're going to get that next generation on board with us. Those are the things that I think are... Are super impactful to reach this next generation.
4: Right. I would say too. Uh, I've got a degree in experiential education, so I have to touch stuff to learn things. <laughs> um, computers on stuff, I get it, but I I need to be able to feel it, touch it, do it. And that's something with millennials today. I feel like too, and in, in the younger generation, um, they they need to touch it. They want to do it. They're they're through experience driven uh, type things. And uh, in addition to that, they, they want to feel grown up um, in a way. I don't know if you've, if, if you've been married in here. If you got married under the age of 22, my parents got married at 19. I got married at 22. Um, I look at that now at friends of mine that are 18, 19 years old, like there's no way they're ready to be married. But we're worked out, my parents worked out, and I'm sure you all have worked out well pretty fine. But we want to, students want to see a sense of ownership, a sense of leadership. And so I think one thing that is, is letting go of a few things and letting them lead in certain ways. And hey, when they mess up, church, we don't coddle them. I'm, I'm anti-coddle. Uh, oh, it's okay. You'll get it. no. This you don't get a blue star. We're going forward. Like you've got to learn from those mistakes, and you need to be put in positions of leadership and service and those types of things. Because they want that. They they desire that to lead. They desire to be respected and, and seen as a leadership uh, or seen in a leadership position. So giving them the opportunities to teach in Sunday schools, to go around in, in our in our communities, and just have areas of leadership. Giving them the abilities to lead and to take ownership of what they're doing because that's building experience for them and they'll know what to do or maybe what not to do uh coming up after that and so that's something i've seen working with students as well and collegiate students is man they just want to they want to feel grown (laughs) they want to feel grown up and so let's give them some chances to actually do that in some some respects and help them along the way don't just set them up for failure but hey here's how you can do this differently next time not in a demeaning way, but hey, as a leader, this is what you can do next time uh, to make that go better.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that when, when we do that, it helps them see that purpose and the why we're doing what we're doing when we usher them into some of those leadership roles. Yeah.
0: Well, as you, as you think about what you guys have shared about the generation, help us understand, I think there are a couple of vehicles, if that's the right word, uh, of family plays an important role, and the local church also plays the body of Christ, the congregation, and as you think about that definition of love, about looking to the needs of others, you know how can how can we uh, encourage? What's the role of the family and the and the, the body of Christ? But also, how can we display that love and support uh, of reaching younger generations as a congregation?
2: I'll chime in on this one. Um, I think a lot of things have already been mentioned, especially the community aspect and the uh, building authentic faith. Um, when when this generation hears something from someone that they trust, they actually hear it and they remember it, and, um, and it helps develop that faith in their life. But I think just the local church, um, I think establishing a staff that has the direction of the gospel um, and is true and authentic about reaching this generation with the gospel. It's a practical way, but um, my prayer is that this is that group up here. Um, I think another way is just that the local church can talk about Jesus more and how he lived. Um, just the way that, you know, when when we read about him and we learn more about him, that's when you become like him. So two practical ways that I think. But um, as far as the family, um, a lot of different ways. And I'll probably speak more on a preschooler level here. Um, but I think the first way is um, hearing God's word. And just bringing back the importance of memorizing scripture and just practical ways, getting your child a Bible that they understand, um, helping, it, helping them um, apply that to their, to their little life or their bigger life. Um, so I think that's really important. I also think just having a community like Josh and Alex spoke about, when you are having discussions about Jesus with other believers that can speak a lot more truth into you and develop your faith deeper than just having a teacher speak it directly to you. Um, I think that um, this generation is, is definitely craving community like that so that they can build a deeper faith. Um, and I think, too, just living out your faith um, in your families. You know, don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. Um, don't just talk about wanting to serve for a long time. Actually serve. Let your child see that you're serving. Um, let your child see that you're tithing. Let them see that you're worshiping at home. Um, I remember when I was little, I got a $3 allowance and $1 went to savings, $1 went to spending how I wanted it, and $1 went to tithing. And that small thing that um, my parents taught me has helped instill that value in my family today as well. So I think those are just some ways that the family and the local church can have an impact.
3: I think it's also important uh, for everyone in the congregation, the parents that we have to realize that we're a part of it. Like, we're a part of the journey. Uh, so we are a part. We are partnering with parents. Um, but ultimately, the parents are the primary disciple makers of their kids. But we play a part in that. And I think as parents, we want to widen the circle of influence in our kids' lives. Because, you know, I want more people also influencing them for Jesus and sending them and pushing them in that direction. And it's important for us to realize that, that we play a part in it. Um, but we ultimately are trying to help resource the parents in figuring out things. And like we were talking about some things that this generation deals with, technology, big thing that's different today than it was years ago. And there's a lot of different avenues of figuring out what are ways that technology can obviously stir up affections for Jesus because we can leverage technology in staying connected with teenagers, students, um, but also we know that technology can rob them of those things and rob them of those affections for Jesus and just kind of help them unplug from the things of Christ because they're just so much into the world of the availability of what technology brings and it's just one of those places we need to have conversations with parents to make them known like hey here's some dangers of technology here's some things that we think are good to do with technology but there's so many things but it's just really resourcing parents as they are their primary discipleship makers of their kids
0: um, in terms of uh, opportunities or challenges, you have you guys have some thoughts on what some of those um, as you look at the ministry. You can, I know you've just been here three weeks, uh, in just a few months, and then obviously all you guys less than a year. But any thoughts as far as what are some of the challenges that in terms of tailors? I'm thinking more specifically here. What does it look like for us? Opportunities in front of us, but challenges. Any of you guys have? Any additional thoughts on related to that? And then we'll we're gonna wrap up. That clock moves so fast. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, so anyway.
3: I would say one of the things, thinking about challenges, and this is not a bad thing. Like life groups on Sunday morning, that's not a bad thing. That's just a way to do life groups. Some people do life groups during the week, some do it on Sunday morning. But us to recognize this is an obviously a challenge because we don't want to pull people out of life groups to volunteer, but we also need volunteers. And we don't want to pull people out of being here in the worship center to volunteer because we want them to be in the worship center and we want them to be in life groups. So that's an obvious challenge that we have to figure out. And part of the thing that was put into place before I got here is the rotations where you're not you're not maybe serving every Sunday. There's a rotation of every other Sunday that you're serving. And that allows people to still stay connected to their life groups, but also to actually serve as well. Um, just because we have a lot of people from college down to babies that require volunteers and leaders. And one of the other challenges, just with the, when you think of like the generation gap, um, sometimes it's hard to get younger people to seek out wisdom uh, or to even know what people they should talk to, to maybe either ask them to be mentored by or develop that connection. So part of it, I think, is we have to, as a church, figure out ways to leverage this so that way it's not just a i've been serving 15 years here's the baton now it's your turn and i'm done like we want to figure out ways to keep this relationship going so that way there's wisdom that's able to be shared off to the younger leader but also that young that uh person in the older generation still stays involved but maybe they're not in the same leadership role but maybe they're still playing a part because everyone has a part to play regardless if you've been serving for 60 years or you've been serving for two years like everyone has a part to play and there's not this like I've finished you know I've been serving for 40 years and now according to the bible it says I don't have to serve anymore like that's that's not the case like We know from everyone we read in Scripture, the gospel continues, and that's the main mission, is to make Jesus known and proclaim him. So regardless if you're 30 or if you're 70, there's still a role for you to play, and there's a role on our team just as much as there is a role in other teams here at the church.
1: Yeah, can I speak to that real quick? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that uh, as I was reading and looking at this next generation, the number one factor in students' staying connected to uh, the church and to Jesus after high school is that they have three or more adults that poured into their life between the ages of 15 and 18. So even in a perfect world, if that's a parent, a student pastor, or a children's pastor, that still takes one more, you know? And so we need the church. We need you guys to get involved in young people's lives in a way that says... You know and I'm available. I'm available to be here to love on you and to pour life into you.
4: I think something real quick, uh, David, as you mentioned at the beginning, if anybody's ever familiar with sailing, you never drift in the right direction. It seems like, you know, <laughs> you just kinda of float and it's that's not the way you want to go. And uh, sadly some of the some of this generation is seen as just drifting because there's uh, on their own fault, there's lack of discipline. Um, your generation the guys guys and and, and ladies I see in here you know we have a lot of war war veterans in here a lot of uh, old business men and women in here which is great and you all have a sense of discipline maybe you still tend the garden at a certain time of day you do this you know you do your errands on this day or whatnot but our students today seem to have a lot a, a lack of discipline and that's something that we can use you all as a church body to instill that in them, saying, hey, this is this is why we do it and when we do it. Not because of tradition, but because we're disciplined. And this is why we give money to the church, because we're disciplined and we want to be obedient to God. This is why we do certain things, because we are disciplined and want to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with what we do in our life. That will prevent, in my opinion a sense of drifting and, and device-centeredness. Uh, if we can just get um, you know, together as a church, and we're doing that, and it's awesome to see this happening up here with our leaders together and church body because we are a body together from the youngest to the oldest, working together to help these students, this next generation. And I'm speaking for myself because I would, you know, I'm seeking mentors too to see how do I do life right. I'm only 28. I've got two children. You know, we're trying to run a business, trying to do certain things. How do I do life right to honor God and to, and to be seen as faithful, you know? So if we can do that together as a church and be willing to say, I will reach down and to the students to say, I will reach up and take that, And use it and run with it so that I can glorify God. That's one of the things I feel like, man, it's just important if they can just be disciplined enough to do that. And that comes from being modeled in our families, not just saying, hey, put that away. No, it's taking it and putting it away, you know, or or whatever it may be. There's many ways we can go about that. But that's something I think adding to that, that we never drift in the right direction. It's going to take our body of Christ together in the Lord Jesus Christ, giving us the wisdom to lead, to teach, and to go and grow together. Uh, to honor what's here at Taylor's, what we believe in, to honor Christ Jesus, I think, as a whole.
0: That's great. Well, guys, we are grateful for each one of you. And I uh, want you guys to give them a hand for their leadership. We, uh, we want to take just a moment. I want to invite you guys to step down here to the front, if you would, for just a moment. And as you guys know, we've been having a season of prayer as part of our service uh, just for a couple of minutes uh, each week. And I want to just pray over them uh, as a group and want you to pray for them too. And uh, I don't know if any of you guys would like, I know Alan typically invites folks if they want to come to the front, if if you know them, if you serve with them, if you're a deacon or a leader in the church and you want to come up and just surround them uh, as we pray, I just want to invite you to do that uh, right now. And we just want to thank the Lord uh, for His provision Uh, for each one of these ministers and for what they're doing and making themselves available um, each and every week. Uh, And so we just want to praise God for you guys and uh, invite us to take a moment just to pray together right now, okay? Uh, Lord, we are grateful for you. We're thankful for the time this morning to think about what it looks like and to be reminded through Scripture of the importance of reaching the generations that come after us and to do that in a spirit as jesus reminded us of love and lord i thank you i want to praise you for this generation that you are raising up this millennial generation and the generation z and for as the psalmist said children not yet to be born generations that will come along lord you are doing a work in this world you're doing a work in our country you're doing a work right here It tailors, and we want to praise you for the generation that's coming along and for the characteristics that are maybe different than our own. But, Lord, they're theirs, and I know that there's a heart within that generation to harness those things, to engage the culture and to share the gospel and to use their life to be a platform so that your kingdom will advance and your name will be glorified and honored in and amongst this nation. And so Father I pray uh, for Molly, uh, I pray for Josh, for Joseph, and for Alex. Lord we all do this morning and we, as we pray together we just ask for your, your blessings and your favor over each one of them individually. We ask your favor and your blessings over uh, those uh, preschool parents and children that Molly uh, is over and Joseph with elementary Lord, for students from sixth to twelfth grade, and for Josh as he starts this new ministry and pours into them, and for Alex, Lord, and his faithfulness, being a part of college ministry as a college student, and now to be back to pour into college students as a minister. And that, Lord, you would let their devotion to you be sure. That, Lord, their ministry to those in their areas of influence would bear much fruit. And that, Lord, as you lead and guide them, that you would help them to incline their ear to hear your voice and to be faithful to follow you and to fill them with a passion and a love. Fill our congregation with a passion and a love for the generations. Give us a vision for what that looks like and give us courage to move forward and to do it in a God-honoring way. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.